Hey, let's, let's share in a moment of prayer. God, we give you thanks that we can sing songs that say things like, you alone. God, that you alone deserve our attention. God, that you alone deserve our affection. God, that you alone deserve our commitment. God, that we can be assured of this fact, that as long as we have you, we have enough. God, when our trust, our hope isn't in you, we find ourselves piling our lives up with stuff that we can collect, things that we can buy, things that we can add to our identity in order to, um, in order to, to, to boost ourselves, to make ourselves feel like um, we're more safe and secure in this world. But God, your promise and the teachings of scriptures and what we see throughout the history of people walking with you is that as long as we have you, that's all that we need. And so, yes, God, we sing you alone and we sing it with sincere hearts, being convinced of that fact that you're all that we need. Thank you, Jesus, for being our God, for being our Lord for being our friend. And I can say, my friend reigns. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, if this is your first time visiting with us, we do welcome you here to Tri-Cities Church. If, this is, if you're returning, if this is your second, third, or if you're just a regular here, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Glad to see you here on this Labor Day uh, Sunday. Um, uh, we are in the, the book of James. We've been in the book of James for now five weeks, I believe, and so um, that's almost the longest we've spent in any one series or any one book in the history of Tri-Cities Church. So um, you are at this very moment set, uh, watching us set records of, of uh, watching me set a record of preaching in one series for the longest amount of time, and I am enjoying it, and I think it's because the book of James has been so beneficial uh, in my own life, and I've been hearing people say, hey, this has been, this is great. I love the book of James. It's so applicable and practical to my life. And so um, people are discovering this book that is often overlooked, and I'm excited about that. Hey, in the seat in front of you, there's, there's these cards. Um, if you're visiting with us, uh, there's these, these cards in the seat in front of you, and, and just whatever information you feel comfortable sharing, we'd just love to know that you're here um, and begin spending some time this week praying for you. Also, on the back of that card, if there's anything specific that you want us to be praying about, you can fill that out, and you can put it in one of these buckets on the table. Um, when we do communion or even after service or just, just whenever. But we are glad that you are here and joining us uh, for week five in the book of James. Let's, let's pray and then we'll get into the message. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to open this insightful, enlightening book of the Bible. And God, that as we open it, we gain wisdom and knowledge from you about the way that we ought to live our lives. God, I thank you that you didn't create us to figure it all out by ourselves. But you are the master planner, creator. God, that you know the way through this life best. And you teach us that in the scriptures. And so, God, I just pray that you help us to hold these scriptures up, not just as holy, but as applicable and practical and right for our lives. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So um, I, I, I just want to begin with a video. Um, my, my wife and I used to um, 
used to, maybe still do. I don't know what, if we do or not. Um, but we used to, we don't currently, we used to foster dogs. So um, we, we, we would have foster dogs and you run into all kinds of challenges sometimes with foster dogs. But we believe that it's a worthy, uh, worthy thing to do. So we would have uh, foster dogs and each one had their own, uh, own character and personality to them. And when we moved to East Point, when we first moved, we, we discovered this lady, Lasky's Lucky Ones. If you have ever heard of it, she has a fostering program just right around the corner, uh, right, right here off of Montrose, here in East Point. And, and we just kind of connected up with her and found out she had this program where she was trying to rescue dogs off the streets of East Point, off the mean streets of East Point, uh, and find them good homes. And so they had found this dog that they named Ansel because this, this guy who was a photographer uh, had found him. So they named him after Ansel Adams, the photographer. Uh, and so they had found this dog named Ansel. They needed a home for him. And I, and I told my wife, let's, let's try this out, right? Let's, let's foster this dog. And so the lady kind of warned us at first, right? Um, because he, he had just gotten fixed. And so she said, he'll be a little calm for a while, right? Um, but but uh, he's probably lived, for, as far as we could tell, he's probably lived on the streets as entire life, right? So there's no telling what this dog is going to be like. Um, and and uh, so this is, I have this video of, I think it was the, the uh, probably first or second time, must have been the second time because I knew what was going to happen, time that I fed this dog. And I just want you to watch this, this video and see how this dog eats, right? Did y'all catch that? All right. You, you, I mean, he attacked the food, right? Uh, uh, and so this dog, when, from the time we got him, almost like, it was like instinct, right? This dog, when you came in the room with food, you didn't even have a chance to sit it down, right? As soon as you have it in your hand, this dog was in the air, knocking it out your hand. I can't count the number of times it was scattered all over the floor. Um, and so one of the first things that we had to do, yeah, you, you see him... <laughs> insane insane right um we we would sometimes just because he liked doing this and it was kind of a distraction we just throw his food all over the floor and just let him find it It it's like here find it um um but we we had to train him and teach him uh manners and so uh we worked really hard he was a very brilliant dog he was able to learn uh quickly so we learned um that we could actually teach him when we came in the room we could sit his food down and he would not touch it until we said the word eat. And we even got to the point where we'd walk out of the room and, and this dog would still be sitting there just whining, ready to eat his food. But unless you said eat, he wouldn't eat his, eat his food. Now, now the way that we um, had to work with that dog is that we had to train that dog. Now, it would have been nice, right, if we could have come in the room and sat down and had one of these conversations and said, hey, listen, if you keep doing this, like eating like this and eating everything you get your... your Paul's on, right? Then you're going to find yourself in trouble because he swallowed a sock once. I'll never forget one night we were um, watching TV and this sock came back up. And it was, it, it, it didn't look like the size of anything that should have come out of a dog's mouth. And we didn't know what, we thought it was an animal that he had brought into the house or something. And then we uh, actually found a potential uh, adoption family, right? And he went to spend the weekend with this family, to test his family out. And that was a Friday. And on that Saturday, the guy called. He said, I think he swallowed a sock. I said, it's happened before. It'll come back up. Just be ready for that. Um, 
And so no matter how hard we tried, right, no matter, you know, what we do, we, we could not sit down and say, hey, brother, this is going to hurt you if you continue in this way. Because dogs just don't operate that way. Their brains don't operate that way. You can't teach them. You have to train them. Now, what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is the way the brain operates and how we, um, how, how our brain operates and how um, sometimes the operation of our brain makes it challenging for us to live in obedience to scriptures, but because God has called us to live faithfully to him, then there's, there's actual ways that we can, um, uh, train our brain, right? So that we can, uh, so that we can break negative habits in our life, uh, and, and we can learn to do the right thing. Now, one of the, one of the primary things that separates us from animals, like Ansel, right, is that we operate on intellect, not instinct right this dog had been on the streets for a long time he wasn't saying he wasn't making a decision he wasn't weighing pros and cons this was just his instinctive behavior but as human beings god has chosen to give us brains that operate on intellect and so just the way you'll sit down and tell your child right you have to slow down when you eat you have to chew your food right you've got to eat just a certain amount and not too much or you you know it may come back up you can't eat your socks you can tell your kid that right you couldn't tell a dog that right because because dogs don't operate on intellect but humans do we gain the knowledge and that knowledge is able to shape the things that we do now the brain it's the decision making center of the human body Right? And in a split second, and we've been talking about the amazing complexity of the brain and how it's able to take in different uh, stimuli and, and, um, and things in our environment, and it's able to process multiple things at once. And so anytime we make a decision, there's a number of things that are happening almost subconsciously, not so much making a decision or being intentional about it in every case, but almost subconsciously, our brain weighs pros and cons. It, it, it assesses risk. It says, is this good for me or bad for me? Uh, should I be doing this? Should I not? What will be the consequences of doing this? What will be the consequences of failing to do this? And in, in, in split seconds, we are constantly making decisions. And those decisions will shape our lives. You see, the brain is the component of human beings that makes decisions. And those decisions shape our, they shape our lives. Now, when we get into the scriptures in the book of James, and as we move forward in this series, the reason why this is so important is because what James is teaching us about the life of faith, really from this point forward in this book, it all comes down to the um, the decision that we are uh, willing and choosing to make every single day. James is saying, hey, you've got to make a decision. God's not going to force you to do one thing or another. God's not going to uh, make you do something. God's not even... Um, God's not even really threatening you and saying, do this or else, right? God is saying, this is the way that you were intended to go through this world. This is the way you were intended to live your life. Now, you've got to make a decision about that because I've given you the capacity, the ability to make decisions about your life. And so when we get in James chapter 2, verse 14, where we're beginning this morning, what James is doing is he's addressing this tendency that we have and this thing that was occurring in the church where followers of Jesus Christ were beginning to reduce uh, faith in Jesus Christ to a mental ascent, right? They were just, they were just reducing it to this, I gotta get to this point of belief in Jesus Christ. And so it was all mental, it was all intellectual, it was all about knowledge. It's, it's about whether or not you believe that Jesus exists or not. 
And what James is doing is saying that the life of faith is so much more than just believing that something exists or not, right? It's about living your life daily where you make daily decisions, right, from the brain, right, the intellectual center of the body, right, the decision-making center of our body, that you make daily decisions to follow Jesus Christ. And when we think about it, the church is one of the few places uh, that this happens, right? Because if you believed anything else in, in this in, in life, just in life in general, um, you would normally respond to it. So, for instance, you might believe that so if fire alarms went off right now and you believe there was a fire in this building, we would all get up and we would head to the door, right? We would get out of here. Uh, if you believed that, um, that it was unsafe to go out of your house at night, you would probably not go out during that, that moment. If you believed a storm was coming and it was going to blow your house down, right, you probably would get out of town, right? You would probably leave. In every case in our life, we live our lives in response to certain beliefs that we have. Those beliefs shape our decisions. But somehow within Christianity, right, within the church, um, we've come to believe one thing and then believe at the same time that we can do something that does not line up with what we stay, say we believe. And James is wanting to correct that tendency that is in reality abusing the grace of God. Because here's, here's, here's the, the, what begins to happen in our minds as we say, all right, I, I get that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I get that Jesus called me to be born again through belief in him and baptism. I get the fact that God created me to live a new life in Christ Jesus, which means that some of my actions won't line up with past actions, right? They'll be different. I, I get that there's some things and some habits in my life that I need to break in order to live this new life in Christ. I, I get the fact that God has called me to embrace that, but because of grace, right? Um, because God will forgive me, right? Um, because God's love doesn't run out, right? Because God's going to call me friend even if I mess up, right? And we, we get the grace component, and then we don't make decisions on the basis of what we believe. And this leads to what's been referred to as nominal Christianity, that's beginning to take root in our culture and beginning to spread like wildfire. And that's that I believe in Jesus Christ, but nobody can tell. (laughs) Or I believe in Jesus Christ and nobody would know unless I told them. Right? And that's beginning to take root. And what James is showing us is that God created us with the intellectual ability that we can make daily decisions. And if we have faith which is belief in Jesus Christ and that he created us to live this new life in him, that if we have that kind of faith, then it's going to change the things we do. And so what James is teaching us here is he's teaching us that we're saved through faith, that we're saved through faith alone. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago that there are some people that have a little bit of an issue with uh, James throughout history. There's actually one theologian, Martin Luther, who, uh, who wrote James out of his Bible, right? He just scratched it out because he felt like James was saying that we're saved uh, through works and not through faith. But what James is saying, he's not contradicting that. He's not saying that your works save you um, because that's the other end of the spectrum, right, that we sometimes go to, is that we don't believe we're saved by faith, and then we believe we're saved by works, and then we're 
we're working every day trying to please a God who's already pleased with us as long as we have faith in him. Uh, we're working to please that God. But James is saying that, that, um, that you're saved through faith, but it's a particular kind of faith. You see, in James, in this chapter, in this section, he juxtaposes faith and works. Faith and works. He holds those two up. Faith and works. And he does this to teach us the wisdom of having an active faith. He does this to teach us the wisdom of having an active faith. Now look at what James says in verse 14. Um, He begins with this hypothetical question. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? So he's not denying that it's faith, right? But he's saying, can such a faith save them? save them? Can a faith without works save us? And what James is getting at, and this is a hypothetical question, the answer to that question is no, that a faith that has no works, no deeds, right, no actions that follow, no decisions every day that begin to shape that life of faith, that that faith cannot save. Why? Because it's a lifeless, he's going to say, that it's uh, powerless, and that ultimately it's pointless that we're just wasting our time if we say that we believe and that belief is not shaping our day-to-day decisions. And then he gives this illustration that's, um, that, that's a little general and vague, but it's very helpful for us today. Listen to what he says in verse 15. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So James isn't teaching us that we're saved through works, but he's teaching us that we're saved through faith that works, right? There's this particular kind of faith that shapes our lives. And so that if we're nominally believers in Jesus Christ, right, if our faith isn't transforming our lives and the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, then that's not saving faith. We're deceiving ourselves if we think that we're safe and secure in, in God for the rest of our lives if our lives aren't being changed by the faith that's grabbed hold of us. So James is saying, yeah, yeah, the faith that God desires from us is a faith that transforms our lives. Now, what James does here uh, is showing us that um, that if we could we if we could make that faith can't be reduced to this mental ascent, right? This mental place is just a simple belief that doesn't change us, um, because that in no way sets us apart from the rest of um, the rest of human beings, nor what James is going to say, even demons themselves, right? It doesn't make us any better than demons themselves. Listen to what he says in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God, good. Listen to what he says. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So James is saying, hey, if we get to that point that you say you believe in Jesus Christ, um, that you believe he died for your sins, that you believe he rose from the dead and lived a new life, and you put that tag on yourself, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, James is saying, good for you, right? If it's not changing your life, it makes absolutely no difference. Even the demons believe the facts, right? The facts are there before them. They've come 
come to believe them. And it sets us in no way apart if our faith isn't accompanied by action. Now, the challenge of this text that I think we can't overlook um, is that James is very general in terms of what that action looks like. He lays out this one scenario, this one case, and says there's a person in need, and there raises all kinds of questions. And I was um, actually, I was sitting down with Jamie uh, this week, and we were talking through this text, and I was like, well, well, um, well, how do I know which situation I'm supposed to help in? And what if I try to help everybody, and then I'll run out of, you know, the means or the resources uh, to help? And how do I know what help really looks like? And I began wrestling with this question. Um, and what James is doing here is laying out a very general illustration which leads to a faith that's much more creative, right, than when it's by the rule. Um, you, you think about the, the rule of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. People love the Ten Commandments because they clearly define the action May I just say some people love the Ten Commandments. <laughs> um, uh, it, you know, there, there was a time when Ten Commandments were posted. Uh, people started posting them in their yards. There was a time when Ten Commandments were posted in courthouses. There was a time when Ten Commandments were posted in public spaces, right? There was a time that churches had a sign with the Ten Commandments on the wall from time to time. Um, there was a sign that, that, that uh, the church had wrapped, our, our culture, our society, had wrapped their minds around uh, the Ten Commandments, right? Why? Um, because they clearly defined the action that God expected from us, right? It made it clear what God, do not, do not murder, do not steal, do not um, um, be jealous, don't, don't envy, don't, um, <clears throat> the rest of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you know the rest of them. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, do, th- these do nots, they were very clear. It was easy to tell whether I was doing this or, or not, right? And, and so our society wrapped our minds around this. And, and you didn't see anybody posting in public places this story from James, right? This, if your brother or sister is in need, don't say, uh, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, right? Nobody posted that because it's so general, right? And it makes it a little bit more challenging. It makes us put a little bit more effort into it to try to figure out what God is desiring from us. Nobody's posting the parables of Jesus, right? In their front yards or on the walls of their courthouses or in their churches, right? Nobody's posting those because they make it a little bit more difficult to figure out the action that God is expecting from us. But what those things do, what stories like this do, or or illustrations like this do, what the parables do, is they help us navigate the life of faith in this modern world, right? What James is teaching the church how to do is how to live in a society where we've been saved by grace and God's no longer saying to us do this or else right do this or these this is the punishment or the consequences he's teaching us how to live in a society a world where we've now been freed from sin but from the law that led to sin we've been freed from that by the grace of God And now we have a choice. Now what happens all too often is that this freedom that we have in Christ immobilizes us. It causes us to do nothing because the rules aren't clearly defined for us in every single case. And often we're immobilized by that instead of being sent as missionaries of God himself. And we sit on our freedom and we enjoy our grace And James is saying, no, God has freed you so you can find creative expressions of your faith 
in this world. That the faith that God has um, saved you through ought to express itself creatively through action in this world. So God is not laying down in every single situation, in every single case, how your faith ought to express itself. I was thinking just this week when my wife and I, we were trying to think of a time that we were um, going through a difficult, difficult place in our life and um, um, just challenging. We had moved to New Jersey. Um, we had kind of upped and moved. Uh, actually, when we were going up there to try to find a place uh, to live, we, we went and we, um, we didn't have much money. Uh, cost of living was much higher. Uh, we had, at the time, we had three dogs. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we get up there, and all the, we went from apartment complex to apartment complex. Um, and pretty much everyone, according to the rules um, uh, of the apartments that we were looking at, that there was one of our dogs that we wouldn't be able to keep because of uh, their aggressive tendencies, or so they say. Um, and so we had three dogs, and you had to pay a higher rent than anything we had imagined down here. And you also had to pay rent per dog, uh, um, um, per, yeah, rent per dog, and you had to pay uh, parkings to park per car. And we're looking at this, and we're just saying, uh, we're just so stressed out, and we're like, there's no way we're going to be able to afford this move. And that night, we went to this this restaurant, and there was this... We get to this restaurant, we're frustrated, have been looking for a place to live all day. We walk in, and this place is packed. And we're just like, we just, it's a pizza place, too. We're like, we just want a slice of pizza. Um, and I'm sure we just look totally stressed out. And there's this old couple that comes up to us, and they say, we've, we've already waited. Um, and we got extra seats at our table. You can come sit with us. Right? They didn't know us. They didn't have anything in common with us. But the faith that was alive within them expressed itself creatively. It stepped out and said, hey, there's this couple that's in need. Now, this may be kind of odd for me to go invite them to sit at my table. But what God has freed us to do is to find needs in our world and for our faith to express itself creatively. I was thinking about another story from our time up there because up down here we always had our community. I'm from here so we had our community. Whenever we were in need there were people that would help us. When we got ready to move back um, we, we really just didn't have many people that were to help us unload our stuff up and I remember there was this guy that I had become uh, friends with um, who was trying to change his life. Um, he had been um, um, he, he had lived a hard life um, and was trying his hardest to get out of it and was uh, trying to move out of his neighborhood because of the life that he had lived in that neighborhood just placed him around people that he just didn't need to be around. And just maybe a month or so before um, before he helped us move, right, he, he um, was pulling up to this gas station and someone pulled up with a shotgun at the window and he turns to try to go out the other door, and somebody's with a shotgun at that window, and they shoot this guy, and his arm was riddled with bullet holes. And this guy said to me, I'll never forget this, I mean, because he had just, almost just gotten out of the hospital. The arm was totally bandaged up, um, sores, uh, you know, bandages all over his arms. He said, I, w- I want to help you move. Um, I want to help you load your things. Um, and it was because of the, the God who had grabbed a hold of him and his life had changed and he wasn't allowing his faith to be limited by his situation. He knew that his faith had to become active in his life. 
You see, what the scriptures are challenging us to see is that when God grabs a hold of us and the life of faith takes root within us, we can't just sit on it because that nominal Christianity, that faith that leads to that, does not save. The faith that saves us is the faith that expresses itself actively, creatively in this world, that recognizes a need and doesn't say, oh, that, that would be awkward um, for me to go up to this couple and, and help them or or, or that would cause me pain to try to um, help this couple move because, um, because my arm is just not well and I don't know if it's ever going to be right again. Or, oh, that would be um, uh, just out of my way um, and not write out actions that are motivated by our faith because they just don't feel good or just aren't easy. James is trying to get us to see that this faith that's grabbed hold of us transforms our life and the way we act in this world, and that begins with a decision. Now, depending on your view of God and depending on the way that um, oftentimes the way we've been raised and just living in this world where we often have to work for approval, I feel the need to say that God isn't saying work for my approval, right? God isn't saying work for my love. God isn't saying that, um, that you're saved if you uh, work up to it, if you earn it, if your actions deserve it, right? What God is not, God is not looking for um, perfection, right? He's looking for progress, Right? He's looking for us to take that step of faith that takes us out of our way and say, God, I'm going to follow you here. And I'm going to take that next step. And I'm going to try to take that next step. And I'm going to try to take that next step. What God is looking for is not perfection. He's looking for progress. And what James does here in the next few verses is he lists out two different people, right? One was Abraham. He talks about Abraham, which Abraham was a deeply flawed man. He didn't have it all together. Uh, he did a lot of things right, but he did a lot of things wrong as well. And a lot of the things that ways that he messed up in his life are even listed out in the scriptures uh, in the book of um, uh, Genesis, beginning in Genesis 12, if you want to go back and read that sometime this week. Um, But listen to what it says about Abraham and James in verse 20. It says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, right? That his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did, right? Now, Abraham was a deeply flawed man. He didn't do it. He did a lot of things wrong. But this scenario that he's talking about was God said to him, hey, offer your son up to me um, as a sacrifice, right? This, your one and only son, the son that you love, that you've prayed for, that you've desired, offer him up to me as a sacrifice. And Abraham was willing to do it. God didn't make him do it. Um, Praise God, God didn't make him do it. But Abraham was willing to do that um, by faith, believing that God was in control, believing that even in doing this extremely difficult thing, that God would somehow make it right. And the Bible calls that faith. And it says that faith, that step of faith, 
saved him. Because of that, he was made righteous. It's a difficult story for us to wrestle with, but the scriptures are saying that by that step of faith, not being by being made perfect, but by that step of faith, he was now saved because it's faith that saves. Another story that James lifts up in verse 25 is in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. Notice the title is still there, the prostitute, Rahab, the prostitute. It wasn't Rahab, the former prostitute, right? It says Rahab, the prostitute, was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies, and that's in the book of Exodus, and sent them off to a different, in a different direction, right? When she obeyed God in faith, put her own life on the line, she was considered righteous, not because she had walked away yet from her former way of life, but because she lived by faith that manifested itself in actions in her actual life. What God is looking for from us is an act of faith. And it's that faith that saves. I think what James is teaching us to do um, is to make and is make is to make acting out our faith a priority in our lives, and this is extremely countercultural. It goes against what we're taught from the time that we're born. Our society teaches us to do what's convenient to do what makes us happy, to do what's comfortable, to pursue the things that make us happy, to pursue the things that fulfill us, for the, to do the things that give us satisfaction. We're taught that from the time that we are born, that that's what life is about. It's about fulfilling all of your dreams and getting all the things that you desire. Um, and what James is saying is that this life of faith is going to call us into uncomfortable spaces that this life of faith may even cause you to give up some personal dreams for god-sized dreams that this life of faith might call you to do some things that you just don't feel like doing that this life of faith is not going to be easy but it's going to be worth it I read about this, um, this experiment was, which was done at uh, a university that um, they had these monkeys. And that's how you do experiments, right? Monkeys, rats, some kind of animal. Uh, they had these monkeys and they wired them up with these uh, electrodes that they put on their brains um, that when they sent electricity through this thing on their brain... Um, that they would get this sensation of pleasure, this happiness that would just kind of flood their body. Um, and then they, they hooked it up to a button and they gave that button to these monkeys and they could just hit the button. And whenever they wanted to feel this extreme sensation of pleasure, they could just hit the button. Um, and these monkeys sat there with that electrode hooked up to their brain and they were hitting the button and they felt that feeling. And they hit the button and they felt that feeling before you know it they're hitting the button over and over and over again they forgot to eat because they were hitting that button and getting that feeling they forgot to take care of their young because they were hitting that button and getting that feeling um the males um left their spouses 
or at least the girl they were with at the time, <laughs> because that button felt so good to them. And they found themselves just hitting, hitting that button. Um, and they stimulated themselves to death. You see, the reality is this, that our society will teach us to do what feels right, what feels good, what pleases you, what brings you satisfaction. And if we follow that, it will lead us to a place where our decisions make us just one step away from being monkeys with a pleasure button. Just hitting the button, just getting pleasure, just doing what we want and doing what we feel like doing. And James is saying to us, step away from the button. Right? He's saying, take a step back and assess what really matters in this life. What really makes a difference. What really points forward to the life that is to come. When all our needs will be met, when there will be no more pain. He's saying your faith must express itself through its actions because that's what you were created for. James is challenging us to live different lives. Look at what it says in verse 26 as it finishes out this section. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, without works, without action is dead. What action is God calling you to? Now, as a church, we are committed to having all kinds of things here that you can get involved in, that you can plug yourself into. Action. We have the McLaren Project going on. That's action. We have the food co-op that's getting ready to crank back up. That's action. We have ways that you can serve in your church. That's action. We have our Better Together campaign as we prepare to build buy this building. That's action. There's all kinds of things um, that we're having. You're going to see more things, even projects to clean our community uh, and, and our neighborhoods. That's action. We have all kinds of things happening here in the church, and that's action. And God is saying, hey, get involved in those things. Your faith must manifest itself in action. But I believe very firmly in this, and this is one of the, our commitments as a church. It's not one of our five value words, but it's one of our commitments in our church. In fact, that you could say it's in our mission statement that what we are here to do is to equip people for mission in their communities. And what we mean by that is that we don't believe that we have to sit back and wait for our church to have some kind of action for me to get involved in, that there's action in my home, there's action in my neighborhood, there's action in my workplace. There's action in the grocery store. There's action wherever I am that my faith is equipping me for. And James is saying, do it. Do it creatively. Because that's what God has freed you for. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've um, yeah, given us this opportunity to study this very challenging section of scriptures. Um, and God, I... I am even thankful, even though it's more difficult for us. Um, I'm thankful that you didn't just uh, give us a rule and say, do this. Because there's something in our human nature that will do this and not more. That will do this and not address real 
needs. But God, we are grateful that you saw that our world had needs that went beyond the rule. Needs that only a faith that was alive and active could meet. And so God, please help us to see them, have the boldness to step out and address them. That the faith that's within us might be active. In your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.